Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. when the world casts him aside, and when Jesus is placed in a spot in the mentality of your culture where he is all alone, because he came and sat with you when you were alone, you will thrill at the privilege of coming to sit with him. What we have just described is salvation and sanctification. What we have just described is how Jesus comes to us out of great mercy for us, not because we are great people and not because we deserve it, not because there is any merit of our own, but Jesus comes to us simply because he is Jesus and simply because he loves us and simply because he has mercy on us. And so he saves us out of who he is. That's what salvation is. But when we gravitate towards him, when we are drawn to Christ, it is because he is worthy. It is because he is attractive. It is because he is deserving of all our attention and all our praise. When Jesus comes to us, it is because we have nothing and we are nothing and he makes us something. When we then, in response, come to Jesus, it is because he is everything who gives us everything. That is what sanctification is. That big, long theological word, sanctification, that we recoil from, that sort of puts us off because we're so afraid someone will turn to us and say, oh, you just think you're holier than thou. They totally misunderstand what sanctification is all about. Sanctification is our response to the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so when Peter's talking to his readers here in this first letter, he comes to that notion of sanctification. We already encountered it in the first uh, couple of verses. Remember there he says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work in you to make you holy. But here in this part of the letter, by the way, in the first 12 verses, he's talked a lot about salvation. He's talked about that salvation that, that is so lovely and so wonderful, so uh, grand in its nobility that 
angels themselves long to peer into it and to look into it and to understand it. So in the first 12 verses, a lot of what he's talked about is the meaning of this salvation. But then when he comes to the 13th verse, he says, Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Last week, we tried to emphasize how much of the Christian life is living in hope, living in the hope of grace, the grace of God. Having read this letter where Peter is talking about Christians who live as exiles in a foreign land, that in this world we are strangers, we don't fit in, and as a result we live in faith and we live in the Word and we live in worship and we live in grace. And so Peter says, set your hope fully on that grace to be revealed. And then in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. In these verses, we see the balance, salvation by grace unto a life of holiness. So here's what we would do in our human nature. We take the doctrine of grace. We say, well, you know, I'm saved by the grace of God. There's nothing I do that saves me. That's a pretty good deal. I don't have to do anything to save me. I don't have to sacrifice. I don't have to clean up my act. I don't have to, I have to be pure and holy before God loves me. Uh, he loves me. He sent his son to die for me. He calls me to the cross. It wakes up my heart. I receive Christ. It's all God's doing, all the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a wonderful thing. Grace is such a great doctrine. And so I don't have to do anything. And then in our human nature, we translate it, that into, and so nothing is expected of me. But that's why salvation is followed by sanctification. And when we are saved by the grace of God, we are called into a life of response to love him, to honor him, to reflect who he is. Let's be clear, that, that's not working to keep salvation. That's not doing something in order to make sure God keeps on loving you because maybe you'll mess up enough that he won't. That's simply to say you love him so much you want to be like him. You love him so much you want to please him. You love him so much you want, you want your life to count for him. That's what sanctification is. It's a response in the life of the Christian. Now, Peter says, be holy. The one who called you is holy. Now, what do we think about when we think about the holiness of God? We think, first of all, of his majesty. We think of his glory. We think of the wonder of his presence. We think of the, the beauty of, of what it would be like to, to uh, in, inhabit the, the courts of heaven and to look to the one seated upon the throne and just see the, the majestic glory that surrounds him, such as John talks about in the book of Revelation. When we think of the holiness of God, we think of his nobility. We think of the nobility of his character, the perfection of his will. We think of the absolute moral perfection of his character. When we think of the holiness of God, we think of all these things that go into the unapproachable nature of who God is. And then Peter says, and as he is holy, you be holy too. Which means just the way God is absolutely perfect in character. You be perfect in character too. Just as God is absolutely majestic, you be majestic in your life. As he is wondrous, you be wondrous in your life. 
The way God is holy, you be holy too. Now here's the problem. We can't even begin to understand the holiness of God. That is so far beyond us. I mean, when we uh, peer into the courts of heaven and we see the one seated upon the throne, our small minds might encompass just a fraction of who God is. I remind you, a fraction of infinity is just about zero. We can't even begin to understand who God is. And so when Peter says, as the one who called you is holy, you be holy, we say, how can we do that? We don't even know what holiness is, yet we have a philosophical concept and a theological definition, but we really cannot grasp what the holiness of God truly means. And so God the Father, who in infinite holiness that we cannot even grasp, sends God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is holiness that we can see. He gives us the picture of holiness, the demonstration of holiness, the living out of holiness. In Jesus Christ, we see exactly what the character, nature, holiness of God is. And so in Christ Jesus, the holiness of the Father is made known to us. And Peter says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. You love him so much you want to be like him. And if you want to be like Christ, you want to be like the Father, which means you want to be holy the way he is holy. So this is just the natural result of coming to Christ and coming to love him and and to uh, give your life to Christ as Lord and Savior. So the person of Jesus Christ calls us to the holiness of Father. Now, the problem is that when we see Jesus, we are still unable to be like Jesus. Jesus, who from the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't have the slightest notion what they're doing. In my best moments, I'll forgive my friends. When I'm really motivated, I'll forgive people I like. But people who are absolutely mean and nasty and have it in for me, it's hard to believe there are such people. There is one, but I'm getting over that. But to forgive someone who crucifies you, can't do it. So we see the holiness of the Father in the Son. Now we know what holiness looks like. We can't do it. And out of the riches of grace, the Father sends God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit starts to work in your heart and to change your heart and to change who you are so that holiness, sanctification, the life of responding to the goodness and the greatness of God becomes possible because of the gift of the Holy Spirit to every believer. So being holy like the Father is a matter of knowing the Son and empowered by the Holy Spirit that we might bring the Father glory through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what sanctification is. It's it's that kind of holiness. Now, if you were to look up uh, um, the word for holy in the theological dictionaries, the the, uh, Hebrew word and the Greek word, hagios and and, uh, kadosh, uh, swap those, Um, what you would find is that holiness has to do with separation. That these are words, the word holy is, is a word that means to be separated. In particular, separated from the world, separated unto God. It means called out of the way the world is, called unto who God is. Uh, if you want a picture of that, think of uh, uh, God as he spoke to Israel as they came out of, out of, out of Egypt. And there in Leviticus 18, he says, uh, you're, you're coming out of Egypt. Now, I don't want you to be like Egypt. You've left Egypt. Don't be like the people you left. 
said, but I'm bringing you into the promised land, into Canaan. Don't be like the people who are there because you are not called to be like the people I, I delivered you from. You're not called to be like the people into, into whose land you're moving. I've called you to be like me. And that's what the scripture means when he says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. Not like the world, either coming or going, but separated from the world, separated unto the Father. Now we say God is holy. And we understand that separation from the world because God is not touched by the, 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 the sullen filth and dirt of the world. God is not touched by the darkness of the world or the dysfunction of the world. He's not touched at all by any of the things of the world that swirl around and cause death and, and disease. God is not touched by any of that. So he is separated from the world in that sense. He is totally and entirely something other than what our world is. So he's separated from the world. But what about that separated unto God part? God is holy because he is separated unto himself. That is, God exists for his own glory. You better be glad of that. If God existed for some other reason, that other reason would be God. If God existed for some other purpose than his own glory, then something else would be God. But because he exists for his own glory, he is holy, separated unto his own glory, then the glory of God becomes the controlling factor in all of creation. So God is absolutely holy, absolutely holy. And so uh, Peter says, you, you be holy. The, the one who called you is holy. I want you to be holy too. Now, so look at this. I want, I want for us to back up. Now, in your, in your English text, if you have the uh, same translation I do, there are, there are two commands, two imperatives so far in verses 13 through 16. They're actually the only two commands so far in the entire book. Uh, the first one we, we looked at last week where he said, set your um, hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Set your, your hope on grace. That's the first command. That's the first imperative. The second one is you be holy. Now, I know earlier on it said do not be uh, conformed to uh, the, the passions of your former ignorance. That is actually a participle in the Greek. It's a circumstantial participle that's supporting the main command to be holy. So we actually have two commands so far as we're reading through the book of, of 1 Peter, living as aliens, strangers in a strange land, and the first command comes to us and it says, set your hope on grace. The second command comes to us and says, set uh, or, or you be holy. Set your life on holiness, if you will. Now, here's why those two commands are absolutely essential. If you try to obey the second command, be holy, without the first command, set your hope on grace, you are doomed to destruction and, and, and to um, uh, discouragement and futility. See, a lot of Christians hear that, that, that call to holiness and sanctification. But sanctification without grace becomes legalism. And that's why you know folks who grew up in churches that all of the gospel was nothing but a list of do's and don'ts. The gospel seemed to consist of nothing but passing out rulers so you could uh, measure the hem of a dress, look at what kind of jewelry is being worn, talk about makeup. You thought it was all about rules and regulations about what you could look at, couldn't look at, had to do, didn't have to do. They may have been good things, they may not have, but the fact is you thought the gospel was all about obeying rules. You thought it was about performance. You thought about law. See, this is what happened to the Pharisees. 
Pharisees really wanted to be holy. In fact, the word Pharisee probably comes from a Hebrew word that, uh, that means separated. The Pharisees wanted to be holy, and, and their thing, their, their big theological thing was they wanted to be holy every day, all day long. They didn't want to just be holy in the tabernacle, holy uh, on the Sabbath. They wanted to be holy in the marketplace, in the shul, in, uh, the, um, uh, in, in their recreation. They wanted to be holy in the home. The Pharisees wanted to be holy everywhere, and they wanted to be holy all day long. And that's why they had all these rules, laws, and regulations, some 600 rules that they built like a, like a hedge around the Torah so that by not crossing the hedge, not breaking one of their small rules, you wouldn't break one of the big rules of the Torah. And they were all about rules, they were all about legalism, and they were all wrong, and they were just frustrating the stew out of everybody. And that's because they wanted to be holy, but they didn't know about grace. You see, the second imperative here, to be holy, without the first, grace leads to legalism. That's why we start with the grace of God. And it's the grace of God that saves us, and then it's the grace of God that makes us holy. It's the grace of God that works in our lives to bring us unto the Father for his glory. So those two imperatives have to be kept in mind. Keep uh, last, sermon, last week's sermon in mind. Hope on grace as we talk about this week's sermon, uh, to be holy as God is holy. Now, how does that pan out? What are some of the things that mean? Look, first of all, verse 14, as obedient children. By the way, that word children is just laced with grace. That word children, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the Father. That because Jesus the Son died in our place, we are brought into the family of God. And now we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And all that the Father gives him becomes a part of our inheritance. That word children is just laced with grace, but we move on. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, that's a participle, a, a better translation, at least in order to get an A in my Greek class, it would be something like, as obedient children who are not being conformed to the passions of the former ignorance. It's an interesting way that he talks about the life that we had before Christ. He said it was an ignorant life. Ignorant thoughtless, unknowing, didn't evaluate anything, just went along with the flow. It sort of, sort of went like this. Uh, you're growing up as a kid, and what do you do as a kid? You do what all the other kids do. Why do you do what all the other kids do? Because they're doing it. You mean if they jumped off a building, you would too? Sure would. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that the, the reason most kids give for things? Everybody's doing it. You know, we're, we're not thinking about this and evaluating that. In our ignorance, we're just going along with the flow, with the crowd. So we want to do what they do. We want to play the games they play. We want to be accepted. We get into high school, what do you do? You do what everybody else does. Why? Because you want to be a unique individual. You want to be yourself, so you want to look like everybody else. Look, that's the way it was when I was in high school. It's not that way anymore. But you want to be like everybody else, so you do what they do, you like what they like, you listen to the music they listen to, you start to use the same language, you want to see the same movies. I was going to say you read the same books, but that's hoping for too much. 
But then you get out of high school, what you gonna do? Well, what are my friends doing? Some are going to college, I guess I'll go to college. Some are joining the military, I guess I'll join the military. Some people are getting a job at the factory, I'll get a job at the factory. Why? Because that's what everybody else is doing, and just thoughtlessly you go along with the crowd. Then you get to your job on the factory, there on the assembly line, what do you do? Well, you turn widgets. How do you turn widgets? Why do you do it? How do you do it? I'll do it just the way you do it. That's great. How many should I do per day? I know I'm capable of doing 10. My friends are doing five. The union foreman says four. So, you know, I, I just do that, but I don't think about it. Oh, we could keep going on, but let me ask you this. Have you ever reached a spot in your life and you didn't know how you got there? You reached a spot in your life and you had no idea what happened? This is what Peter calls the passions of your former ignorance. You were led by desires and appetites and passions, and you didn't even think about it. You didn't even think about it. Since these were passions, the, the, the word there, epithumia, um, it's a word that means lusts, desires, appetites. They're the things that become so all-important in your life that that's what you've got to have. That's what you want. And so you chase after those things. They start to shape you. They start to conform you, which means to shape together with. They conform you to the rest of the world. It's, it's funny how appetites will do that. I had an experience uh, with, with appetite this past week. We're at a restaurant. A, I'm hardly ever at restaurants without plastic trays, but um, B, I mean, this was like a real restaurant. And I had decided that I was going to be uh, obedient to my doctor, and so I was looking for something on the menu that didn't have cholesterol. This was Charleston, South Carolina. They don't believe in menus that don't have cholesterol. <laughs> I took this as a sign. <laughs> I got shrimp and grits. Oh, it's good, folks. It, it, I mean, you don't even have to like grits to like this stuff. Uh, the way they make it is they take a big tub of cholesterol and they just pour, <laughs> you know, a little bit of shrimp into it. But my appetite, my desire for that dish, for something to eat, changed and reshaped my thinking about my health, at least for that moment it did. And uh, uh, wanting to be polite to the rest of the people at the table, I made sure I enjoyed every bite of it. <laughs> but you have an appetite. You know, it's hard to believe, but in the first century, in the days in which uh, uh, Peter was writing this letter to his, his uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's hard to believe, but in that society, in the first century, they were all about appetite and desire and lusts. Can you imagine a society in which all kinds of sexual expression was, was highlighted and exalted and called normal and desirable and healthy? Hard to believe, isn't it? But it wasn't just that. It was a society that believed in wealth. It was a society that believed in materialism and gain, a society that believed the more stuff you got, the better person you were. Hard to believe that, isn't it? It was a society dominated by greed. It was a society that held human life cheap. And people thoughtlessly would abandon newborn babies along the roadside so they would either die or be picked up, raised, and sold into slavery. Hard to believe people were like that back then. 
But Peter says, that was your days of ignorance. That's when the passions, the lusts, and the desires, the appetites of the world were controlling you, and you weren't even thinking about it. You were going along with that. But that's not the way it is now, because the one who called you is holy. That phrase, the one who called you, God summoned us up out of the darkness, out of the depths, out of the world. He summoned us into his presence, into his holiness. And so the one who called us, called us out of those things so that as he is holy, we would be and live a holy life, summoned away from those things so that we're no longer living in ignorance and no longer living lives that are controlled by passions and appetites rather lives that are guided by the holiness of God. See, because once you start to understand the holiness of God and, and think about the holiness of God and, and love the holiness of God, that begins, begins to shape and to remold and remake you. Didn't Paul say something about that in Romans 12? He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by what you think about and what you're aware of, and let that be Christ. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, he says, we have the mind of Christ. And so we're called out of the world, out of this mindless pursuit of appetites and lusts, out of this ignorance, we're called into holiness. So that's the first aspect of holiness, it's moving out and away from the world. The second part of it begins sooner than that when he says, as obedient children. As obedient children. Now, there's one thing you have to teach a child, and that's obedience. You hardly ever have to teach them how to be, uh, can't use that word, disobedient. But obedience is teaching the child to conform to the standards of the parent. The parent who says, oh, I let my child do what they want is condemning their child to a life of misery. It's something to be said for discipline in the home. But um, uh, Peter says, as obedient children, that is, children who love the Father so much, we want to please him. We want to do what he says. Whatever is in his word, we want that applied to our lives. Whatever we discover in his character, we want that to be in our character. Whatever it is about God the Father that, that is revealed to us, we want that to be manifest in our lives and just, just exalted in our lives. So as obedient children, so there we see moving away from the world and the lusts of our former ignorance and moving in obedience toward God. Now, this puts the life of the Christian in perspective. It is not a case of work to earn. It is a case of living to please and to glorify and to thank and to praise the Father. Now, when we understand sanctification in that sense, then sanctification is the way that we worship God all day long. All day long. It's the way we glorify the Father every moment of our lives. When we understand the life of holiness that way, then it's not just a, a, a sort of a peculiar way to dress and to talk, but rather it is a way to dress and talk that pleases the Father and points others towards him. So that, that's, that's the life of holiness. Now, understand that when you um, live for the Father in holiness, the world is going to try to knock you off that stride. The world has no interest in you being holy. In fact, it has a lot of interest in you not being holy. 
That's why the world throws around these things, holier than thou, you just think you're holier than thou. And it doesn't matter what it is, you know. And, you know, when I was a kid, if you didn't smoke, oh, you just think you're holier than thou. Can't believe the amount of preaching going on now, you know. But don't smoke. It's a bad thing. If you can quit, quit, please, and all that. But here's, here's the thing, you know, and the, the, the people around me say, oh, you think you're holier than thou. We're going to the party, they're going to be drinking. I don't go to parties, don't drink. You think you're holier than thou. You see, they totally misunderstand what sanctification is. The world thinks that sanctification is about being better than other people, and it's not. Sanctification is about being like Jesus. You know, we're not going to be better than anybody. We just want to be more like him and more aligned with him. So that, that's what sanctification is about. It's a drawing towards Christ. And so the things we do as believers in Christ have nothing to do with earning any merit of our own. It has everything to do with responding to the grace of God in our lives already. And this is all by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit in our uh, lives. Now, let me um, uh, try to bring this uh, all together. It says, those obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, they were going to be confronted with those passions time and time and time again. There's going to come a moment, either today or tomorrow. Surely you can't last 48 hours. But there will come a moment in which you will have a chance to decide, do I want to be like the world or do I want to be like Jesus? It's going to come in a, in, in a way that maybe you don't expect. You know, it's going to be on the way home. Somebody in the car says something. You know she's wrong. <laughs> what? What were you thinking? And you've got a choice then, am I going to respond the way the world says to respond, or am I going to be like Jesus? You'll have that choice. Let me give you a hint. Be like Jesus. You're going to have a chance before the day is out, at least before tomorrow is out, you're going to have a chance to be either be like Jesus or be yourself. You know, the world keeps saying, be yourself, be yourself. I know myself, he's not so great. But be yourself or be like Jesus. Let me give you a hint. Be like Jesus. You'll be happier. And everybody around you will be happier. So you're going to have that chance to choose obedience or the ignorance in your former passions. So um, pick it up again. As obedient children, not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And uh, I was trying to think of a way to phrase this, uh, uh, anastrofo. It's, it's sort of the way, in everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, be holy like the Father who called you. Now, that's, that's going to mean a couple of um, fairly simple things. First, you've got to know the Father. You've just got to know the Father. You got to talk to him, listen to him, read his word, surrender your heart to what you find there in the word. You just need to know the Father and to love him. 
Now, I know you do. If you're a believer in Christ, you love the Father. I know you do. But, but most of us, we love people, and we don't show it very well. Most of us love somebody, and, and uh, we spend a lot of our times apologizing for the fact that we didn't show it the way we ought to. But you love the Father the more you know about him, the more you worship him, the more you honor him and glorify him. So you, you need to know the Father. You need to listen to the Father. You need to love the Father. And when you do and you open up your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God just brings your heart into conformity to the image of his dear Son, Jesus Christ. And the more you look like Jesus, Jesus, the more you glorify the Father. And that's called being holy. So, obedient children living in this alien land strange land living in this world that is so hostile to everything that Christ taught us just the way the Father is holy you be holy not by your own power not by your own merit but by the grace of God who sent his son and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we would honor and please him would you bow with me in prayer please Gracious Father, what a wondrous gift is your word to us that not only shows us how we ought to live and how we ought to be, but shows us Jesus Christ, proclaims to us the gift of the Spirit that we can, we are enabled to live holy lives. Father, we don't find holiness within ourselves, but we see it perfectly in you. So I'm asking each person, for each person in this room, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, awaken eyes, open eyes to see Jesus, to be drawn to him, and thereby to be drawn to the holiness of our Father in heaven. Father, I thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we sing our closing song, the grace of God goes out, calling you to holiness, calling you to obedience. Respond quickly and obediently as we sing. Stand together.